Bless the Lord. Everyone hear me okay? I know it's cold this morning, but for some reason, when we had another heater on, which would heat your feet, uh, it kept tripping. So I don't know whether we can get something. I don't know what we're going to do with that. I'm afraid if we put it on this morning, if it trips again, we'll just all go out in darkness again. So please bear with us, and we'll see what we can get done with it. Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land which the Egyptians said to do were drowned. Let us just pray. Father, this morning we thank you for the sense of your presence and the the softness of your touch this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're here, and although you're omnipotent, as Glenn has said around the table, yet you're gentle, and yet you're compassionate, and yet you're long-suffering. We thank you, Father, for your Son and all that he is accomplished and all that he has done. And we ask you now that thy spirit would move in our midst, in our hearts, and take your word and make it alive unto us this morning. And Lord, be glorified in everything. For Jesus' name's sake, I ask it. Amen. The life and death of Moses, and in Hebrews 11, verses 23 till 29, we read of much of the life, but nothing of his death. So we're going to look at some of this this morning because I feel it's, in, it's important. For example, in verse 1, we have the birth of Moses. And then right through from, uh, sorry, verse 23, our first verse, it was the birth of Moses, for he was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. It's a good job that they didn't live nowadays, isn't it? Just saying, by the way, that you know, every commandment of government. Romans 13, everyone's around shouting it that we have to bow down to the rulers of authority. But, but wrong laws against God's law are not to be adhered to. And here, the, the rulership of the land was Pharaoh. And look, if they had have bowed down to the Pharaoh, then Moses would have been slain. He would have died. 
So we have the birth of Moses, and then says, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look what he did, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Moses made his choice to be with God's people rather than be in the world. Than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And here we're told that sin has pleasure. That's why, that's why we like it so much. That's why people lean to it and chase after it. But it's only for a season because we will all stand before God when we're not washed in the blood of Christ. We're not trusting in the Savior. And notice here in verse 26, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. That Christ meant, uh, as it were, the, the things of God meant more to Moses than the things of Egypt. And the, the, the treasures of Egypt could not compare to the faith that he had for that which was ahead. Couldn't compare. And he says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Notice Moses' life could be put into three groups of 40 years. We have his birth. We have 40 years of him in Egypt. Then he leaves Egypt and he goes, and of course he's in the backside of the desert for 40 years also, so that's 80 years of age. And coming out of this, when the Lord meets him and says, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, having to go back into that, uh, into that realm, if you want, to say that the Lord's word says this and you have to let his people go, uh, and Moses here has to go do that. So the second set of 40 years is coming to a conclusion and by the time we get to verse 28, notice, through faith he kept the Passover. That's the night they came out through the blood of the Lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost and the door lentils representing the blood of Christ which would come. By faith they kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And then leaving Egypt, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Now they're entering into the third phase, or the third 40-year phase of Moses' life. So Moses is about uh, 80 years old when the Lord speaks to him. And about 80 years old when the Lord calls him to go and bring his people out. Roughly about that age. So it's the first two 40 years, and maybe a little bit more, are used in this. But then it just sort of stops. We know what happens when we read uh, the Pentateuch or the five books of Moses. We know whenever we, we read them what happens. We know the things of Israel in the wilderness and we've, we've learned about it and the manna and the, and the water from the flinty rock and so on. And we, we know that all of this has happened but very little is actually focused in the life or the death of Moses. Notice here in Deuteronomy 34, if you want to turn to it with me, please. Deuteronomy 34. If you want to turn with me, please. And verse 1 says this. This is coming to the end of his life. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab onto the mountain of Nebo, the top of Pisgah, 
that is over against Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. And then he goes and uh, goes on about all the area, the territories which Israel would inherit. Notice what it says here in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, that is, the Lord buried him in the valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulchre until this day. And Moses was in 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. I want to be careful this morning because there are people this morning here who have lost loved ones within the last week. And I know it can be tender, especially at the very beginning. It can be very tender. But they've lost loved ones in the last week. But this is important for us to note. That even though Moses was old to us, 120. It's important to note that Moses, his bodily form and strength never changed. When we know when we get older, our our bodies change. Our strength abates. But Moses... His didn't. At 120 years old, it tells us in verse 7 that when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. When I thought about this, here's the thing that came to my mind, that none of us can boast ourselves of tomorrow. For we don't know what a day may bring forth. Fullness of health, fullness of strength. And within a day was the day that God would call him. That's how important it is to be ready for the day that God might call you. Moses had an appointment with the Lord. Moses didn't know the day of the appointment, but it was an appointment that Moses couldn't miss. We miss appointments for all sorts of things. We think, well, we forgot about that appointment, and some of them we, we, want, to, we want to miss. But this is an appointment that Moses couldn't miss, and it's an appointment that you and I cannot miss either. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment, and it's, it's the condition we find we are found in. It's the condition that we are in when this appointment comes. So Moses is up Mount Nebo at this time. And the Lord is showing him all the land. And then Moses dies and he's taken down the mountain by God and buried in a valley. In a valley. And no one knows where God had buried him. Notice here, if you go to Numbers 27 with me, please. Numbers chapter 27. And go down to verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up unto, into this mount Abarim, 
and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. Now, people might think there's a bit of a contradiction here for the, on this account, the Lord's telling us to go up to Mount Abiram, but yet in Deuteronomy 34 and 1 it says he's a Mount Nebo. But there's no contradiction because Abiram is the range of mountains, the area, the territory. Nebo was one of the peaks, the mountain peaks, where there would be a mountain range. And notice this, what he says. And when thou hast seen it, thou shalt also be gathered unto thy people as Aaron. Thy brother was gathered, and for anyone wants to read it later, read Numbers chapter 20, and that's when the Lord took Aaron, his brother. Verse 14, for ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, or Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes, that is the water of Meribah, and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not a sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. Moses, at this point, is being told by the Lord, You're finished, Moses. You're going to be taken to me. Now, the first thing we would do is we would pray unto the Lord and say, oh, I'm praying for uh, longevity or I don't want to go or whatever it may be. That's the natural thing that many would do. But the first thing we read of Moses here is not that. Moses is praying for the people. Moses has a heart for God's people. And Moses is asking for a leader to be given, someone to come behind Moses What if, Lord, you take me? What about these people? They're like sheep without a shepherd. Nobody to bring them in or take them out and bring them in. No one to lead them on. What what, what will happen, Lord, to the sheep? And that should be the mindset of every shepherd in this day and age too. Lord, what happens if something happens to me? Will you raise somebody else up to carry on the work that your people will not be scattered and especially in this day and age when we don't know what we're getting. In other words, where people have been shown, churches have been shown, and many leaders have been shown weak over the last couple of years especially. Weak, W-E-A-K. God would say to Moses, put your hand on Joshua. I'll raise him up. And brothers and sisters, we should be at that place. I do, but personally in my own life, where I say, Lord, raise up a man that will come after me should you take me home. And that should be the prayer for the body of Christ, that God would start to raise up men in pulpits who are more interested in the souls of men and the souls of women than their own pay packet. That the the ministry becomes their life. The ministry becomes their thinking. 
The ministry becomes their way. That they live the ministry, they think the ministry, because the ministry is the kingdom of God and God's glory. Ministry isn't running away to ten holidays a year. Ministry isn't doing other things in Lord's Day when you should be with the sheep feeding them. And Moses says here, Lord, raise someone up because of the people. And hence, the Lord says, put your hand on Joshua. Now, the thing about it is, in Numbers 27 here, as we have read, little did Moses know, he knew he was going to be taken, but little did he know when. Because Deuteronomy 34 is a few months away. A few months away. So Moses knew that the Lord was going to take him, but it would be a few months away, and he didn't realize when. Now up Mount Nebo, we're going to look at this in a moment. Because I feel when, when I was reading this, I felt the Lord just showed me quite a bit about, I'd studied about Mount Nebo before, but I felt the Lord showed me quite a bit about it and I jotted a few things down. And so when we, in, in Hebrews 11, and uh, verse 23, we have the birth of Moses. And it's not until we dig into the, the, to Deuteronomy chapter 34, we find we see the life of Moses and then we find the death of Moses. We say, well, what, what, what is all this about? Why, why, why bring this out this morning? Because there's so much that we're missing here, but we want to look at. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven a time to be born, Hebrews 11:23. Moses is born. There's a time to die. It's not there. We must go back and look into it. And the life is in between. So your birth, you can show your birth certificate. You could go if you haven't got one. You can go to your council office and you can you can get your birth certificate. And there's your date of birth. There's your that's your birth date. And all the life that we have lived, and some of us have been blessed to live a longer life than others. But all the life, that gap in between will be the birth. There'll be a date one day, should the Lord tarry on a headstone, which will be yours or mine. And it's the condition that the life that we have lived and whether we have come to Christ or not between these two dates, how we have served him in these two dates, you're still in between these two dates. Moses was still in between these two dates. But Moses thought of the kingdom of God. As I said, when Pastor McConnell was dying, believe it or not, he's dead a year in July past there. Before he was, when he was dying, he was still able to talk. And I was sitting up, used to go and see him and was sitting talking to him one of the times. And he had talked to me about things and things of the spirit and things about leadership and church and stuff like that. But every time I'd say, how are you doing? How are you doing? And he used to say to me, oh, well, they've done this out of the hour. They've said this literally 30 seconds. And he cut it like that and he said, what about the work? What's God doing? What about every time his mind was just on the kingdom of God? 
His mind, his heart was just filled with the kingdom. What's all he wanted to talk about? Moses seems to be of the same way where he says, what about the sheep? Who will lead them out? What about if if another pandemic comes, so-called? Who will lead the sheep? Who will take their stand? Moses on Mount Nebo. Here's some interesting things about it. Nebo, N-E-B-O, means prophet. Prophet. And Moses was the prophet of God. And Moses was the one who brought the law to Israel. Don't forget that. The Lord gave Moses the law. And the word Nebo, um, or prophet, it's actually a, a Babylonian deity name. So it comes from Babylon. So you have leaders like Nebuchadnezzar, his name derives from it. Nebuchadnezzar was another king, his name came from it. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, his name comes from it, all to do with Nebo. And this Mount Nebo where, where uh, Moses is, uh, the strange thing about it is, is it was where it was believed to be where a lot of the underworld was. Spiritual darkness was. The strange thing is, you know, for this word Nebo and, and other names that come from it. In Leviticus chapter, we'll not turn there, but in Leviticus chapter 26, the Lord said unto Israel, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, if you walk contrary to me, then I'll walk contrary to you, and I will punish you seven times more for your sins. If you walk contrary to me, then I'll walk contrary to you, and I will punish you seven times more for your sins. You can read that when you go home. It's said a few times there in Leviticus 26. Now, seven times is, works out of 2,520. That's 360, one time, okay? One time, 360. 360. Seven times 360 is 2,520. Simple. So there's your miles for it. But seven times 360, 2,520. And if it's a, a prophetic for a year for a day, we haven't time to go into it. I've taught this before. I'll maybe do another evening on it again uh, because very interesting. But here's the thing. A year for a day would be 2,520 years. Now, when we take this from the, the carrying away of the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, it was 604 BC, they were carried away. And if you take 2,520 years, because Israel had walked contrary, the northern kingdom were gone, and this is the southern kingdom I'm talking about now, There's, they, they were carried away into Babylon, 604 BC, and 2,520 years. So BC, you go 604, 603, 602, 601, 6. So the numbers get less until you get 1 BC, and there's no year not, so you have to add a number. The number 1 brings us to 1, 1 AD, 2 AD, and so on. And if you continue right down, taking off that 2,520 years, it brings you to the year 1917 AD, just over 100 years ago. 
1917, the Turkish Ottoman Empire had ruled over Jerusalem. None could shift them out. The First World War was going, and it was raging at the time from 1914 to 1918. This was 1917 we're speaking about. And by the way, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was, was, was crowned in 607 BC. And if you take 2,520 years from that, you have 1914, the beginning of the First World War. Anyhow, we have 604, take away 2,520, that's the seven times, brings us to 1917. And the Turkish Muslim Ottoman Empire ruled Jerusalem. And the thing about this is, is that a British general, General Edmund Allenby, uh, was sent over to try and remove the Turks from Jerusalem. And everybody had failed, and he didn't want to go because he didn't want to be another one in the list of failures and have the egg in his face. But there was a, a, a Christian, by the way, Edmund Allenby was a Christian, and so was uh, this general came to him, Lord, General Bob Belvoir. And General Belvoir came and showed him the prophecies of Grattan Guinness. Who's ever heard of Grattan Guinness? Grattan Guinness was a famous, uh, a very renowned preacher. He was part of the Guinness family in Dublin. Only half of them were evangelical. The other half went into the brewery uh, business. So that was a bit of a difference between the family, wasn't it? Arthur Guinness and so on. But Grattan Guinness was a, a well-known evangelist. He went to the States. He was in America or in England and uh, and he was very well known here. And he wrote a few good books. And one of them was called Light for the Last Days. And the other one was called the, Pro- the Approaching End of the Age. And he worked out in 1888. He worked out in 1888 that the seven times punishment of the house of Judah would finish in 1917. Now he wrote this in 1888. Working this out. And hence in his book. General Beauvoir gets the book. Reads about it shows it to Edmund Allenby and says, look what this, this man said. Now, Guinness is dead by this time. He says, look what this man has said. He says, that we believe God's word. If you go, we believe God will liberate Jerusalem. And hence, Edmund Allenby went over to Jerusalem. There was war all over, all over the Holy Land at the time. And uh, he came to Jerusalem and the Turks weren't for moving. Sent over the little die-wing planes, 34, number 34 bomber squadron they were, they were, and they flew over. The Turks seen what they thought were like giant birds, and they dropped their weapons. There wasn't a shot fired. There wasn't a bomb dropped. There wasn't a, a life lost, and Jerusalem was liberated on the, the ninth the 9th of December, 1917. Allenby walks in the Jaffa Gate of Jerusalem. He wouldn't go in by horse, for he says, Christ alone will come in as king. And he walks in the Jaffa Gate of Jerusalem at this time. And what happened was, the, 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 in Arabic, his name, Allenby, is broken up like this. Allah, that's God, in Arabic. Allah in, or is, or off. Allah in Nabe from Nebo. Nebo means prophet. And the Arabs used to have a saying that when the prophet of God comes, Jerusalem will be liberated because the waters will flow from the Nile to Jerusalem. Now that's a long way. 
and it was Allenby had the pipes of water for the British troops. The water piped right out to Jerusalem. Nebo was a very significant name, and hence Jerusalem was liberated in 1917. Now, why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because even God uses people, takes men, and he places them to have a significance. Moses says, would you raise up another? And he says, there's Joshua. And listen, brothers and sisters, maybe you, maybe someone here thinks, well, I'm not up to much. Listen, we're all not up to much. It's God who takes those who feel or deemed or seen as insignificant and he uses them for his glory. So Allenby, Edmund Allenby, walked in, Christian general, liberated Jerusalem, not a shot fired, not a bomb dropped, and it's in Isaiah uh, chapter 31. Maybe you can look this up for me. Verse 5. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Notice the planes went over like birds. That's what they look like. As birds flying. I think it's Isaiah 31 and 5. Yes. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. Not a bomb, not a bomb was dropped nor a shot fired. They dropped their weapons and they walked out and surrendered to two wee private British private, uh, soldiers. Just surrendered the whole city. And they went, hot enough. And this man called Allenby, Allah for God, as the Arabic would be, En of Anebe. Alan Bay means prophet of God in the Arabic. How God brings these things right at the end of the 2500, on the exact year of the 2520th year of the end of Judah's seven times punishment. So, I want you to look at something here. Nebo from Babylon. Nebo meaning prophet, notice corresponds with the Greek, uh, the Hebrew and the Egyptian. The Greek god Hermes, or so-called gods, you know what I mean. Uh, Hermes. Or the Latin, it is Mercury. The Roman, Mercury. Or in Egyptian, it's Thoth. So they're basically, in all of their, uh, all of their forms of worship and even mythologies and so forth, they all take this one. Listen, Hermes, Mercury, and Thoth more or less mean the god of wealth, the god of trade. And listen, he was called the patron of shepherds. So all of these meant something in these. It means, it also gives the one that Hermes was the one who takes a soul and carries it to Hades. He comes to take your soul and carry you to Hades. How different it is that Christ takes you and carries you to heaven. That Christ takes you when you're his, when you're trusting in him, when you're saved and he he takes you to heaven. And it also means that there's actually statues were carved and believe it or not, it's like the shepherd Statue of a shepherd with a sheep, you know, with the two legs like this, two legs here, over the shoulders, carrying the sheep. 
That's Hermes. Yet we see pictures who are depicted of Christ doing this. And you see how the enemy will try and replicate and copy things to make it look good. Hermes was the, was the patron of shepherds and he, would have, he was carved into stone of carrying the sheep over his shoulders. Now we know in Luke 15 when the Lord Jesus talks about the one sheep going astray and the shepherd going to look. It says when he puts it over his shoulders and carries it home, says rejoice for me for I have found the sheep that was lost. So Christ does that in a sense. He, he takes us, but Christ takes us to carry us to the kingdom. Hermes takes it to carry it to Hades. And so he's the God of wealth. That Wealth is health. He's also the father of Pan, P-A-N. Has anybody ever heard of Pan? Yep. Pan is a, do you ever see the pan, the depictions of half man, half goat, the goat legs? This is where Moses is, where they all came to worship on this mount. This was under Moses' feet. This is why, this is why he's brought up to represent on the mount. This is why he's brought up to... The Lord brings him to this point. You see, we, we can only bring you to a point, but you have to see it. He's the father of Pan, and he's called the intermediary between the two worlds. He was known to be able to come into the physical world and disappear as quickly into the underworld or that spiritual realm. So you have Hermes or Mercury or Thoth in Egypt. Moses is standing upon this mountain which Moab and Moab which represents the spiritual and the physical. But notice it represents everything man strives for in life. Everything that our carnal cells yearn after. We strive after the, uh, he's the God of the wealth. He, he, he gives us, he gives us a, the want to always be on the make. We all need the money to survive. We all need all the food to eat. We all need all of these things, but it's, it's the love of money. Time's not going to allow me to get there this morning, but Paul says the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not having money, that's the love of it. It's the heart behind it. And notice, this, this uh, Nebo, this mountain represents the, the fleshy desires and the wants of men and women. It's uh, the spiritual darkness and the, it represents the spiritual wickedness. It represents the occultic spirits. It also represents the world. You ready? It represents the world that lies ahead of the lost. It represents the world that lies ahead of those who are not saved. Moses standing on the top of this mountain, here he's a picture, a figure of the law of God. Remember, Moses has died. Remember, when he dies, 
Remember Jesus is up the mountain. You read it. Uh, Matthew 17, Luke chapter 9. And Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, and the great vision that, he sh- that they're showing. There's Christ is transfigured. Uh, and he's glistening like the sun and uh, greater than the sun. And there's Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. And in Luke chapter 9, they're talking about Jesus' death at Jerusalem, what should be accomplished there. So Moses here, he's, he may not made it into Canaan because he struck the rock and he says, must I? He took the glory for what God was about to do. But he was still the Lord's. And notice here, Moses up the mountain with Jesus, Moses with uh, Jesus and Elijah, they're speaking of the cross, they're speaking of Calvary, they're speaking of the accomplishment, and uh, as Glenn said this morning, the finished work of Christ, because he sat down after his resurrection and ascension into heaven, meaning it is done. Moses is talking about this in this vision to Jesus. And now as a man before his death, he's standing as it were the law. And it represents two things. One, that God's law is so high that all others beneath it cannot attain it. That's why. And secondly, it shows us who we are outside of Christ. For example, Moses is here on the mountain and all that it's represented is under his feet. And hence we cannot keep that law. The law doesn't save us because we fail at it, but the law points us and shows us that we're not saved. And this is where we're going. Does that make sense to you? This world is where the soul is headed. The person, the man, the woman, the you is headed. Here is the law. God says, you want to come to my heaven? Keep this law. Now Moses was the figure. I'm talking about what he represented. So the law was our schoolmaster, Paul says. The law was our, and the word schoolmaster is a big word called pedagogos. That's where we get pediatrics and all that sort of stuff from. The pedagogos. And it gives the idea of what they would have had was someone come along to one of their children and rear their children for them. They would have fed them, they would have nursed them, they would have looked after them, they would have clothed them. And they would have walked every day with them, took them to, if you want to do it in nursery school, took them to primary school. They'd have took them out for the day and they'd have taught them the ways. This is how you conduct yourself, this is how you walk. And they learned the laws in their heart and hence they walked according to their household laws. Like you'd put chores up in the fridge. Don't think many do that anymore. Chores up. If we'd have put chores up in the fridge, I think they would still be up in the fridge. But do you get what I'm saying? So the Piedra Gogos was wearing them how to live, how to, how, to, how to walk, how to conduct themselves. And so the, the law was our Piedagogos, our schoolmaster. The law was that which spoke to us and says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And all of, the, all of these, the law is telling us how we walk and, and we break it and we break it and we break it and we break it and we break it. So the Piedagogos sits the child down and says, do you know why that didn't work for you today? Do you know why you didn't do well today? Do you know why you failed today? And they would teach them. And the law of God was doing that to us. Well, what do we do? 
What do we do? We're we're, we're slavery to to Nebo here. Hermes, the the one who will carry us at the end of days to Hades. What do we do? Well, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law was our schoolmaster and says, you can't. The Spirit looks at it and says, but you didn't look to him. And Christ kept the law we couldn't keep. He lived a life we couldn't live. And he died for us in our place. So the death of Moses here, representative of how we die at the, at the law. The death of Christ was representative of how he died for us, for our breaking the law of God, but has risen again. And now we're saved in him. I've got to close this. You know, Jude's little epistle in verse 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, when, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses and durst not bring a railing accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Here's two things as believed that the devil would lay claim on Moses for. First of all, he would say, but I'm the God of this small g of this world. I claim all matter, M-A-T-T-E-R. devil has a claim on the soul that's sinning. Moses has sinned and broke the law. Sure, you're not bringing him into Canaan land. And secondly, he claimed Moses was a murderer. Remember he murdered the Egyptian? There's a whole big teaching behind that about the difference between murder and killing. But you see, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith Moses kept the Passover. You know what that means? He was covered in the blood. Moses was covered in the blood. Okay, one more little verse. Isaiah 46, please. We'll finish here. A couple of verses here. Isaiah 46, years later. Listen to what the Lord says. Isaiah 46 and verse 1. Bell bioth down. That's where we get, that's another god of Babylon. That's where we get the like of Belshazzar. In Belshazzar's feast, Daniel chapter 5, that's where we get the like of when they changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar after the god Bel. Okay? And the Lord says, Bel bieth down. This is before him, that all gods are under his feet. Bel bieth down. Notice, Nebo stupeth. All that is represented. All that is worshipped will bow down before God. Their idols were upon their beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden, and they are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. The Lord says, you have been bowing down to idols. Israel, you have been worshipping statues. 
you've been bowing down to other deities or so-called. And he's saying, you know what's happened? Because I'm God, these are bowing down to me. And even your beasts, your cattle, pulling the the carts, you're taking your gods, as so-called, and you're lifting your statues and you're putting it on the cart and you're all being wheeled away. Your very idols and all, your idol gods, they're even being... They're being wheeled away into captivity just the way you are because you've trusted in them. But here's what he's saying. Your gods that you've put on these these carts and the beasts can hardly pull them with the weight. They're, They're heavy laden. You're heavy laden, he says, with this as well. He says, yet me, he says, I carry you. Notice, Verse 3, hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born from me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he, even to your whore hairs, that is your grey hairs, will I carry you. Notice, I will carry you. That's why God's saying this. I will carry you. You're carrying the burden, but I will carry you. Did you hear that, brother, sister? You're carrying the burden, but I will carry you. You don't need to carry the burden. There's things you're carrying and God never asked you to carry it. The Lord's told me that I don't know many times. I'm burdened down with things of the church and the work and I go, Lord, I can't carry this and all I get back is I never asked you to. I never asked you to carry it. I never told you to carry it, but I'm carrying you. And the Lord's saying, I'm carrying you. You're heavy laden. Matthew 11, Jesus says, 28, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Better stop there. Too much material. The Lord says, I will carry you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? So the Lord says, see what you've got, what you're doing, the world that you're in, the things of the world that you desire, the things of the flesh that you want, The pleasures of the sins for a season. The worship that isn't true. The bowing down to an idol or a statue. Or even to anything or anyone else. The Lord is saying, are you likening them to me? To whom are you likening me to? Well, we're going to carve a statue and make it look like you. We'll put a bull calf up. And it makes it look like you. And it just keeps going on and on where we're even, we're even there's images of, of, of a so-called Jesus and, and, and he's on a cross or he's, he's laying in Mary's arms or whatever he's done. And the Lord's saying, you're likening me to what your imagination is. To whom would you liken me? And they'll all be carried away. And the world that you love and the things that you do and that which you're holding on to at the expense of coming to worship me. He says, no, you are. You're on the top of Nebo. And what if you were on the top of Nebo and the Lord says, I'm calling time on you. What if you're on the top of Nebo and the Lord says, time up. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. First of all, are we saved? Are you saved? And secondly, if you're saved, 
Are you going on with God? Do you love the Lord? Are you serving? Or how would he find you? Would you be standing on Nebo? God bless his word to us this morning. Something different, but it just came to me as I said, and I thought, I'm going to write this. I had no clue what I was going to bring this morning. I sat down and I just saw it. By faith. By faith. Hebrews 11. By faith. It's by faith. Your faith must overcome every obstacle. And your faith must believe in God. And your faith in Christ must be greater than your desires for the world and the things that are there.